This is the SMQB's episode 12 with a very aggressive agenda after an exciting week of sports. Uh, we start off with March Madness, of course. We talk about the exit of one of the great college coaches of all time into retirement, hit on some baseball, tee up the Masters, cover what's probably the best story about the Masters this week. We bring back the punchable face of the week, and then we pour one out uh, for Dr. Bobby Brown. Definitely worth a listen. Enjoy. Have a good time. And uh, see ya. It's when the people climb up on the booth, singing from the people on the people. My head's the roof, dancing on the ceiling, on the people. I got people on the dancing on the people. I got people. This is the SMQB's episode 12. Uh, Toby, Phillies playing the Mets tonight. Is Hertz coming out of the bullpen or starting? You can ask our undefeated teams. The last one left in baseball. So suck it. Yeah. Well, with Jalen Hurts, you know, nothing could go wrong. So I'm, I'm expecting big things out of the Phillies this year. Got a strong arm. What's going on, everybody? How are we doing? Oh, doing well. Madness. House is already eyeing World Series tickets. Why wouldn't I? I, I think he's Long going one sixty two and zero. <laughs> Someone's in for a big letdown. I mean, Gonzaga couldn't pull it off. Why can't the Phillies though? Maybe, maybe the Phillies are the hero we need. Because unlike Gonzaga, we play a real schedule. Yeah. Oof. Ooh, Whoa. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so the madness came and went, Rooster. Yeah, speaking of Gonzaga, they went from an instant classic against UCLA to a complete dud against Baylor. I mean, I I don't know about you guys, but I hadn't really followed Baylor that closely. And man, their their ball pressure started at the three point line. Their defensive rotations were amazing. They shot sixty percent from three threes in the first half, and and for the total, it was like forty three percent. Um, the rebounding was amazing. They got, they out rebounded, uh, Gonzaga 16 to five on the offensive boards in total 38 to 22. Did, did anybody see this coming? Not to the extent that it was last night. I mean, I, I, we'll talk about the semis in a moment, but clearly Gonzaga had an emotional hangover from that great overtime when they were drained and they didn't come out looking like they were ready to play and they got smoked just like Houston got smoked in the first five minutes from which they couldn't overcome. They were down 29 to 10. And even though they made a little bit of run towards the end, they weren't going to make it all the way back. But, you know, from the big 12 perspective in Texas, Baylor had a superior year. I mean, they lost, you know, to Kansas uh, because uh, they were coming back off of COVID uh, and they lost in the big 12 tournament because they still hadn't, come all the way back but we always knew that Baylor would be there if they got their full team back and they got their health back um and you know Davion Mitchell wait, wait, who they wait, call wait, off who, night who's, who's we, who's I, we? I, I was gonna say that who's wait a minute. who's who's you said we oh, always no. knew who's uh, we they oh no Gonzaga, oh Baylor. no uh, here we go oh Baylor. boy oh, no. the state of Texas the state you, of Texas. Now. You had oh, US there. I can opine on what I see. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first time I've heard you say the word Baylor. Well, wait, but wait, Pope, I do want to I want to beg to differ a little bit with that. And and that being the Gonzaga hangover part. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure Agreed. that that was a hangover as much as Baylor just took it to them. I mean, I, look, I will admit I did not watch Baylor much. A couple games in the tourney certainly don't have any expertise here. But, man, they were in those guys' faces. I mean, not giving an inch to them when they were defending them. I, I don't It's been a long time since I've seen defense played that aggressively. It, it, it was intimidating. Yeah. I mean, I was intimidated I, just watching it. I, I, think, I think it's a disservice, really, to Baylor to give Gonzaga the out of the emotional hangover. Baylor, yeah. I mean, when we split up the regions between us, uh, I got a chance to l take a little bit of a look under the hood on the South. And I started really looking at Baylor's players and their stats and their, you know, number one and number two steals in the big 12, their three point shooting, their scoring per game. And we said all along, as it's been said 
always in the NCAA tournament about guard play. And those three guards of Mitchell, Butler, and Teague were unbelievable. But you also have to look at, you know, when you get to that final game, how you've been tested. And if we go back and we look at our bracket, you know, Baylor faced Wisconsin and Villanova and Arkansas, um, you know, and Gonzaga faced. Okay. Don't forget Houston. And Houston. Yeah, and Houston. I thought until the Final Four was one of the hot teams. And Gonzaga faced, you know, Oklahoma Oklahoma and Creighton and Oregon and UCLA. It's a different, it's a different battle tested coming into the finals. Um and what do you guys think? I mean, there's been chat about Gonzaga's not really real because they play in the West Coast Conference. You know, now it's easy to play Sunday morning quarterbacks, Monday morning quarterback after the tournament's over. But what do you guys think about that whole West Coast Conference knock? Well, they didn't have a – I mean, granted, they played them very early on, but they played some tough teams throughout the year. Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, Iowa they beat handily. Virginia they blew out. Now, from, Iowa's now, top now, five they, when they beat them. Now you can say though, from basically January on though, they didn't play anybody. You know that's that's where they get into their schedule: Pepperdine, St. Mary's, Pacific. You know all of these teams. So yeah, I mean, did that affect them going into the tournament? But then again, I know you say that their competition wasn't that great, but I mean USC was pretty hot, and they beat them by twenty. Did, did I see that yep. Gonzaga has been in the tournament 22 straight years or something like that? Now, I mean, that's that, right. That is a legit program. I mean, the, I think, I think there's some argument to be made that they don't play, you know, a big East schedule or even an ACC schedule. Um, and uh, uh, that, I think that's fine if they were going out of the tournament in the first round or the second round, you you might be able to say that, but by the time you get to the tourney every year and, and you're winning and you're getting to the sweet 16, you're getting to the elite eight. I mean, at that point, it's hard to argue. These aren't legit serious teams. Well, wait a second uh, in 2017 Gonzaga, you know, took Carolina to the last minute. It was a yep. highly competitive yep. game. In the national championship, a couple bounces here and there, Gonzaga could have won that game. Yep. They're, they're clearly a legit team. I think their problem is, you know, they were supposed to play Baylor earlier this year, uh, and that game got canceled because of COVID. Uh, they hadn't seen a team as athletic and defensive-oriented like Baylor, and I think that ultimately that hurt them. I'm with House. Um, I think a Mark Few coached team isn't playing with a hangover. And Mark Few is one cool cat. And his team is really well coached. They just came up against superior athletes. I mean, these guys were beasts. Um, Flo, Flo Thamba, Tamba, is that how you pronounce it? Flo Tamba. He only had three points and he dominated the game. People were scared to death to put the ball up under the hoop and, against that guy. I mean, vital. he just he just destroyed them. And the defense, the guards, the guard play on the defensive end was better than I've seen from most NBA teams. I mean, these guys rotated before the, the guy who caught the guy from Gonzaga who would caught an open three by the time he opened his eyes, had somebody right in his face who hadn't been there the split second before. I mean, the, the defense was just smothering. It was and the first team to truly neutralize Timmy, truly yeah. neutralize Timmy. I just say, give Five it to points. Baylor, man, give it to Baylor. They played, yeah. they were superior athletes they were well coached. Their defense was smothering, and I, I'm not sure any team in, in that in that uh, March Madness this year would have beaten them the well, way they played that night. I want I want to make sure you understand. I am not saying that Gonzaga would have won, but for the emotional hangover. I'm just saying I think coming out of the gate, first couple minutes, that that had an effect. And you can't let your guard down against a team like Baylor out of the out of the uh, start. You just can't. Well, they got I it think to Baylor within. They got it to anyway. within. They got it to within ten at the half, and then lost by sixteen. Baylor never took their foots off Gonzaga's throats. I no, mean, they, they really cut didn't. it to nine, and and then uh, Flagler hit that massive three. And I think we all texted that was pretty much dagger. Probably about yeah. 13, 
12, 13 minute mark. Well, let's, let's, now, as, as good as, as good as those guys, good as Baylor was and all the credit to them. I mean, there's, there's clearly a love fest here with, with the Baylor team uh, as it was earned, man, Suggs was the best player on the court. I still think, I mean, he was so, first of all, he was so much faster than anybody on his own team. Uh, it was just noticeable and, and his smoothness and speed and, you know, it's hard. It's, it's too bad, not too bad, but it's a reality is that the way the tournament ended, you forget about that game Saturday night uh, with Suggs' shot, right? I mean, we, we got to talk, spend a minute on right. that. Yeah, like I say, it was an instant classic that, that uh, sort of is getting swept under the rug now because of the blowout they suffered against Baylor. But there were four amazing plays in that game right at the end. I mean, it was just thrilling. You had Suggs blocking that shot and gathering the ball before it went out of bounds, dribbling up the court and throwing like this 30-foot bounce pass through traffic for a transition dunk by Timmy. And then Timmy draws a charge with a second left in the game on Jusang. And, you know, Jusang then ties the game in overtime with 3.3 seconds left, and it looks like we're going into double overtime, and then Suggs' buzzer beater was just amazing. By the way, that Suggs block was on Frazier, who's about four inches taller than him. I mean, that that guy, that guy's ups are unbelievable. That was, that insane. was insane. The best play of the tournament. Where, um, where do you guys rank I, this game in terms of all time fun finishes in the in March Madness? In the semis, and in, in, just in the in March. I mean, there there have been big games, but best game this, in ten this, years. This game kind of reminds me of the. Uh, Five Slamma Jamma versus Louisville dunk fest in the semis of 1983 when everybody was like, oh my God, that is such an amazing performance by Houston. And then they went on and they laid an egg against North Carolina State. And you kind of forget about that. Yep. Uh, we should not forget about that semifinal game. That is one of the all time great Final Four games. Yep. And the, the ending was definitely a, a, a top five shot by Suggs. Really, really exciting. And I'll tell you, in these final four games, um, you're going to see a a lot of these guys playing in the NBA. Uh, Quentin Grimes on Houston is a real deal player. You're going to see Suggs and Kispert and Timmy. You think Kispert? I do yeah. think you're oh, going to yeah. see. He's yeah. a deadly three-point shooter. Uh, deadly uh, three-point shooter. I don't know. Yep. You, get, you get him off a screen. He's, he's a J.J. Reddick. Exactly. Reddick's he is screen. a J.J. Reddick's type, you know, catch and shoot off the screen. I think Massive. you're going to see – I think you're going to see Ju Zhang. Uh, he's, yeah, he's an NBA player, and I think – you're gonna you're gonna see all three guards from Baylor. Yep. Yeah. Yep. How about yep. how about Davion Mitchell? He he reminds me of Barry Sanders with a basketball. That guy's got some serious moves. He reminds me of Gary. I, Payton I think Kis- a real Kisper reminds Kisper reminds me of Jimmer. Mm. Ooh, Jimmer was Jimmer. Jimmer from Jimmer for BYU. Dead. Jimmer Fredette scoring yeah, fifty great. in China these days. Great. Yeah. yeah. Great in great in college and is now playing in China because he's so damn slow he can't guard and neither can. Uh, the Gonzaga guy, he's he just can't guard anyone. You know, you and watch that UCLA, right. you watch that UCLA Gonzaga game though, and and I, you know, UCLA is not lacking for talented basketball players. It makes you wonder what is wrong with that program that they're an 11 seed having to come into the play-in round and go on. And and I mean, it's you know, it's hard to criticize a team. What's wrong with it when they're in the final four and almost you know go to the go to the final, but I mean, the players are there. That team is underachieving if they're not in the Sweet 16 every year. Yeah. Yep. yep. True. I will say four games of the year. They came together late. I don't know. I don't know what I happened didn't. earlier. I mean, remember they were down by five with a minute 29 left in the play-in game against Tom Izzo. <clears> but I will say that they wrote them off. They 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 beat Michigan. I think the score was 50 to 49, and Michigan missed their last six shots. So, I mean, you know, it, they were a good team. I think Cronin was a terrific coach throughout this tournament. I think they were really. A, it's a. It's really weird to put Cinderella and UCLA in right. the same sentence, but they were a Cinderella this year. It was a good story. What? What did you? Did you I was modestly surprised that they got this whole tournament done. Um, I mean, you know, they they took it inside a bubble. And really, there was there was no massive drama, no major players being taken out because of positive COVID testing. And 
I was pleasantly surprised they got it in. Yeah, yeah we lost uh, VCU right at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, we lost. Right? Is that and, the only and, one? And that was it, right? That was the only yeah. one. VCU yeah. would have been wiped out early. They're not good this year. Yeah, I mean, kudos to the NCAA for putting it in a bubble and getting it done and look forward to New Orleans next year when I call it Revenge of the Blue Bloods. Did, did you guys <laughs> see Timmy's stats going into this game? I mean, I agree with House. That was the key. I mean, he was the highest score in every single game they played, except maybe the first one. Wow. 20, 25, 23, 20, 30 against Oklahoma. And what did he have last night? I mean, Very few. Yeah. So 16, 17. I mean, he had 10 yeah. in the first half. They were just physically overwhelmed by those guys, Timmy included. I mean, Timmy was Timmy was good on in transition, but man, when he got the ball in the block, they were swatting it right out of his hands because they're stronger than he is. He just he could not hold the ball in the block. The entertainment value of that tournament never fails, though. I mean, start to finish. It doesn't matter what the score is in the final game. I mean, just day in and day out of that tournament, it's outstanding. Glad it was back this year after we were deprived of it last year. Uh, and and certainly that was a fun one. There were great upsets uh, all the way through and, uh, you know, right down to one of the great games of all time, Saturday night, and yep. then, a, and then a, a champion on Monday. So congrats to the NCAA, right? So Absolutely. When you, when you wrap up uh, March Madness, that means April's here, and April uh, April only means one thing. But we got to cover a couple more things before we get into April about uh, about some basketball before we leave the tournament and college hoops. Yeah, Pope, Pope you said Pope, you said Revenge of the Blue Bloods. Does yeah. that include the North Carolina Blue Bloods being in play next year? Well, it certainly can. I mean, we had a, uh, a a lot of turmoil this week. We lost uh, Roy Williams as the coach. He resigned after 18 years, um, a great run, three national championships. But, you know, I, I think in retrospect, the, the game had probably gotten past where he wanted to be. He's an old school coach. I mean, you know, his nickname's Old Roy. Um, and he likes coaching teams with veteran leadership. I mean, if you look at his national championship teams, I mean, they had Sean May, Raymond Felton, Ty Lawson, Tyler Hansbrough, Kendall Meeks, Joel Berry. They were all, you know, juniors or seniors. And those are the teams that he likes. Now with the one and duns, um, like Cole Anthony, uh, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of uh, uh, relationship with the players. Um, last couple of years, he really struggled you know, they didn't make the tournament, even though they didn't have the tournament. Technically, they didn't make it last year. Um, they had a losing record. Um, this year, they were one and done. They got blown out by Wisconsin. Um, and then you got the transfer portal, uh, which, you know, COVID has kind of kicked in gear and it seems to be here uh, for good. And you have players like a Walker Kessler, who uh, would probably turn into a great uh, you know, player by his junior senior year at Carolina uh, and go on to the NBA. But, you know, his parents weren't happy that he wasn't getting enough playing time and they pulled him out. And, you know, Roy's like, well, every now and then when a player is unhappy with how a coach is coaching or not getting enough playing time, or he doesn't like his pregame meal, as Roy said, is he going to transfer? I mean, that is not the, the NCAA basketball that Roy came into. So, you know, it, it, I'm not saying it was time and I am was a little bit surprised, but when you look back at it, I think it makes a lot of sense. And Roy's not in the greatest health. He's a really old 70, but he loves golf. I mean, he played, he played Augusta twice the week that he uh, gave his press before he gave his press conference announcing his retirement. So he loves golf and he's going to have a good time uh, for the rest of his life. And I applaud him for a great uh, run at Carolina. And as you people could not see my background, but I've got Hubert Davis, who is going to take over as coach. It's a monumental hire for Carolina. He's African-American, makes a big statement for you know, University of North Carolina system to put the face of UNC as uh, Hubert Davis. He played with Dean, coached under Roy for nine seasons. His uncle, Walter Davis, was a star at Carolina in the 70s. Most importantly, and I'll leave it with this, this guy's, Nick. he was in Carolina. 
Carolina is a family and they wanted to keep it in the family. And this was the obvious choice. Hubert Davis, I think he'll be a great coach going forward. Players are excited. I think he'll pick up some transfers. I do think Carolina next year will make a run, whether they make the final four or not. I don't know, but basketball, basketball will be back at Carolina next year with fans at the Dean Dome and uh, revenge of Carolina is on the way. Wow. Well, I'm a little surprised by that, by that report there, Pope. Uh, it, it it almost seemed a little bit like you were ready for Roy to move on. Um, no, I was not, not at all on his own terms. Absolutely. On he is, he earned that right on his own terms, but I think, and if you, you know, listen to his press conferences after games, he was really, really frustrated with where basketball is right now and where his team was. He said, uh, Dean Smith had told him that these players want to pull the nails out of the plank and the hardwood when they want to play for you. He felt like he didn't have that rapport anymore with the players. And, and he said, you know, I'm not the guy to coach this team anymore. Uh, it was a, I mean, if you listen to the press conference, it was really a hard look back on where he thought his failings were, as opposed to, you know, riding out into the sunset. Um, it was Roy's, it was, it was time according to Roy. And I'm happy with that decision. You know, well, Roy, you. Roy Williams is an is a good man, and I know that based on the way his former players talk about him. So here's the Roy Williams. He deserves to enjoy retirement, play golf, and have some fun. He did a damn good job, and they picked a really good replacement. And the reason I think I know that is because I'm a Knicks fan, and I really followed them hard when Hubert Davis was on the team. And he was a middling talent who performed well above his abilities because of his intelligence and fundamentals that he learned at, at UNC. And I think he'll bring that to the team. Second Listen, highest I'm, three point percentage in NBA history. He had some clutch uh, free throws one yeah, time. Yeah, no, no, he he was awesome, but he, you know, he oh, he was an overachiever. I'm happy to say that. Roy Williams is the greatest coach of all time because that makes Villanova's victory over him in the final four, all the sweeter for the national championship. But look, I Pope, you know, uh, I have a couple questions for you. One, well, I have a question and a comment, but the question is, I am always curious where Carolina fans come in between Roy and Dean. I, I feel like still, despite the fact that Roy has more championships, right? That, that, Dean Smith is just on a different plane above Roy. So we'll start there. What, where, what's your take on that? Well, I, you know, Dean is the, the, the godfather of the program. He's the one who put it on the map. I mean, Frank McGuire had a good run. He got, you know, a, a national championship in 57, but Dean is the one who put Carolina as far as college basketball is concerned, you know, up in the blue blood level and Roy defers to Dean. And so because Roy defers to Dean, he says everything he has is because of Dean. It's hard not to say that Dean Smith, you know, we play in the Dean dome, Carolina plays in the Dean dome. So uh, it's hard to say that Dean is not, you know, the most loved uh, basketball coach, but, but Roy will wear well with time. Um, I mean, he brought three national championships and you guys, you know, in 2000, forget about his Kansas record. Yeah, sure. Right. He didn't win. He didn't win a natty, but you know, he had some great teams and final fours, but you got to remember in 2003, um, he came on to uh, a team that had major problems. Matt Doherty, uh, the the players were threatening to leave. And McCants, the Feltons, they were threatening to leave. Sean May, uh, unless they got stability in the program. You know, Roy turned them down once in 2000. And in 2003, Dean Smith said, Roy, in 2000, we wanted you. But in 2003, we need you. And Roy came back to the family. And he'll always be loved because of that. The, the, the comment was that uh, I, I feel really divided about this transfer portal thing in the NCAA. I really do. On the one hand, I mean, we all know that these kids playing college athletics, especially in basketball and football, are exploited. Yep. They're just exploited for the, the money of the university, um, and they get nothing for it. I mean, it's made its way all the way up to the United States Supreme Court as to whether or not they can get paid. But on the other hand, and we've talked about this before on the pod there's something about loyalty in sports. And when you commit to a program and these schools do a lot to recruit these kids and care about them, and the kid commits to the program. And now on the transfer portal, it's not that a coach left. It's not that 
the, the team is under some kind of violation infraction, it can be for any reason whatsoever. You say, I'm done with the school and I'm going to the portal. And while kids who are exploited should be able to determine kind of their outcome, on the other hand, I feel there's something to be said for loyalty. And I don't know ultimately if Walker Kessler and the transfer portal was a reason for why Roy left, but I, I the transfer portal does not sit well with me. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, well, it's a it's a dilemma. I mean, the, you're right. It's there's 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 two sides to that story. Um, what are these coaches making? What what is what was Roy making last year? How many millions of dollars was he making? As was high, he was the highest paid employee of the University of North Carolina. He could leave that school anytime he wanted and take a job with another school. He just yes. could, and all right. of the coaches could do that. And these kids, until now, couldn't right. Um, I think you're right. I, I look, I value loyalty. I totally value loyalty, but, uh, and I think maybe we need to narrow the portal and, and narrow the rules. But, um, I mean, there are situations where look at that Eastern Tennessee state situation where, uh, the coach Jason, Jason Shea, uh, quit, allegedly quit, um, more like he was bullied out of his job by the Tennessee legislature because he knelt with his players. He's a white coach kneeling with his black players, got all kinds of crap for it and had a winning record over five seasons and finally just said uh, enough. I I'm out. Well, now his players all want out too, because they know that's why he quit. That's a little bit different situation. Yeah, that's a situation you should be able to transfer. And and house, let me answer your question. I agree, but there are some situations where you shouldn't just say, you know, my, um, I woke up today and felt like leaving because so my friend is at another school. You shouldn't be able to do that. Right. And the, and the problem that creates is I'm sure that Walker Kessler, not using his name, you know, over, but I'm sure that once he gave a scholar, they got a scholarship from him that they didn't offer someone else or someone else who might've wanted to come to Carolina uh, to play his position, a big man went somewhere else. And so when, when you have somebody like after one year, because they are unhappy with their playing time, they leave. Well, that creates a void for the the program because they didn't recruit to have a backup for that person because they got a commitment and they expected nobody thought Walker Kessler would be a one and done. There's a lot of guys who aren't one and dones. And, you know, for them just to say, you know, I'm unhappy with my situation. I'm going to go to another, you know, equally great program. Uh, you know, I think, I think Walker's probably looking at Gonzaga is what I've heard, but you know, so that's that's going to be frustrating for for the uh, old coaches and, and for any and, coach. You know, look look at what's getting ready to happen. Roy is the first of the entire generation of of Coach K of, of Bayheim of all those guys uh, who are you know um, Leonard Hamilton. They're all in their seventies now. Um, Roy's just got ahead of the train on that. So, how old is Coach K? Does anyone know? Seventy-four, I believe. So he's four years older than Roy. And look at Roy's hair color in that picture behind. Him. <laughs> <That's 'cause, laughs> you don't think Wait, K I, dyes that hair? I think he uses shellac, not dye. Uh, <laughs> as it as it relates to the transfer portal, I mean, look, I think this should be all about the kids, right? I mean, at the end of the day, these are eighteen to twenty-two year olds, and for me personally, as a Gator watching like Nimhard who was okay at Florida, like nothing great. It wasn't a good fit at all. He got a chance to go to Gonzaga and everybody knows his name now. Like no one knew who he was in for the two years he played at Florida. It was a better fit for him, a better system for him. He excelled and you know, who knows? I don't know if he's going to go anywhere after college, but He's, I mean, he's a hundred times more happy than he was in Gainesville. I assure you. Yeah, so I agree. I agree a hundred percent with you, Milk. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, you are dealing with eighteen to twenty-two year old kids, and kids get homesick. Kids get, you know, they, they get uh, they're in the wrong fit outside of the basketball program. They're having a hard time in classes. There are a lot of reasons that kids transfer. And I think that the rules have to be set up for all the programs, not just the top 20 basketball programs, right? And you have to consider that there may be kids at schools across the country who 
rely on a scholarship somewhere to go to a school, but it's just a bad fit and they're miserable. And, and, you know, it's, it gets highlighted when kids leave schools like North Carolina or Florida or Georgetown, uh, you look at it and you say, you know, as an alum, you get frustrated, but at the end of the day, you have to set it up so that kids can, you know, thrive in college. They are supposed to be student athletes. Uh, and so I, I don't know, I, I, I'm sort of okay with it. I mean, I, I like the loyalty, uh, component. Uh, that's where I would personally come down on things, but you know, that there's a, there's a ton of reasons an 18 year old or a 19 year old might decide to leave yeah. a college. Well, one of those reasons we discussed Bison recently after I was listening to Jay Williams is that these kids may not necessarily be homesick young people. They're actually pretty savvy, savvy business people and the blue chippers are coming into college with their own social media following and they may be bringing more to the team than the team's providing for them and they're just making mm. business decisions i mm. mean jay will's point was these kids uh in this generation are not necessarily getting a lot of pub from the televised march madness games because their generation is looking at everything online uh, on social media and they don't sit through a whole game and watch it on television so yeah. they're getting it elsewhere and they and the smart ones have their own presence don't they don't need the school to promote them well you know. i'm happy that we got in college basketball this season yeah with all the storylines coaching and transport transport on everything it's a good problem to have but it's yeah. april right bison yeah so you know listen we should we got to talk a little baseball here this is uh this is House, I mean, this is going to be the best week of the baseball season. Yeah, for you, can't probably. we just focus? Can't we just make this the Phillies episode? <laughs> I mean, let's let's go ahead, let's do it. What's going the on? Phillies with baseball? have a bullpen. It's the opening Phillies. day. It's opening day for one team. It's listen, <laughs> just so our listeners are clear. Today is Tuesday, and there still is a team getting an opening day underway. How's that going right now? We're live. How's it going? Uh, yeah, it's five uh, before Atlanta. Five four going to the bottom of the eighth. Well, it's good that baseball's back. The Philly, the Phillies, um, you know, have real pitching, and now they have relief pitching. So we'll see. I think the, I think the NL East is going to be entertaining. Uh, but you, you know, you kind of called it in the baseball preview, Bison. I mean, we've got COVID issues. We have injury issues already in Week One. We have the oh, we have the Expos starting late on Tuesday. Um, the Washington Expos because of COVID. And now we've got the star that we all loved in our baseball preview, the star hurting himself, swinging the bat. Tatis dislocated his shoulder, swinging the bat. Huge loss. Yep. Huge. Anyone hear anything about how, what the prognosis is? I think how long is he out? A little bit. I don't know. I haven't I don't know I haven't if they know yet. yet. Yeah. I don't think we, we really know at this point. It just happened last night. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, this is the face of baseball and, and all of a sudden, uh, but, you know, we did go through position by position and there's a lot of talent out there. There's still a lot of reasons to be excited for the season. Yeah. But the first, the first week really is fun because in the first week you have things like, you know, the Orioles starting three and O, you know, and the, and the, you know, the Shane Bieber getting rocked and the Indians starting 0 and 3 and the Phillies even believing that they have a chance winning three games. The first week is is fun. How about the A's? The A's got swept by oh, the Astros. Five. They haven't won a game yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's surprising. Race yeah. to the bottom with the Rangers. And the Braves, too. Yeah. The Braves, the Braves got uh swept by the Phils and then lost one to the Red Sox, right? But no, the I don't think the Braves lost. Did the Braves lose the game? The Red Sox? Uh, they haven't. They're no. playing Washington They're right playing now. That's the, the now. that's the Rays that lost a game to the Red Sox, yes, right? No, that is the Rays. You're talking about the Rays. <laughs> All right, well, uh, what's the oh Braves boy. record? The Braves, the Braves are not where three. I thought they would be. The Braves are 0-3. About to be maybe 1-3. and three. Yeah, they could be 1-3 and three by the end of this pod. Well, we got Juan Soto at the plate. It could be tied up in, yeah. you know, yeah. in a swing is or two. Is he playing there. right field? Uh, yeah, he is. <laughs> but, White but, you Sox know, are, the White Sox are only one in three. I mean, it's one of the Phillies. Not what we predicted. One of the Phillies wins came by virtue of a COVID holdover that, frankly, I think is annoying. Um, the Phillies went to extras in their first game, and the Braves 
under the COVID rules, got a runner on second base, the top of the 10th, couldn't get him in. The Phillies on the bottom of the 10th got a runner on second, got him in. The Phillies win 3-2. Yay, the Phillies won. The rule is stupid. Does anybody here like it? No. No, It's stupid. So against the grain of the baseball. Too gimmicky. It's not even baseball. It's not fair. It's not fair to the team that put together, uh, you know, nine good defensive innings and got to that point, and then all of a sudden you got to come up and there's a guy in second base and some little squibber ends the game. It's like two dads got together during a little league and decided they wanted to end the game quickly and came up exactly. with that. Have you Ridiculous. seen those those pictures of the polar bears that are like floating on a little block of ice? They're supposed <laughs> to show climate change and how yeah. it's yeah. so pathetic. <laughs> we ought to pick Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, ought to be placed on one of those blocks of ice and pushed out to float through the Antarctic Ocean or someplace very, very cold for allowing this to happen. Yeah, you you know which rule also sucks terribly? I Now, I was watching it like totally play out last night, watching the Rays lose to the Red Sox. The Red Sox put in a pitcher as like top of the eighth or whatever, who is awful. I mean, he cannot find the plate. And they can't pull him because he's got to be in there for like, what, three batters, I think? Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, they were yep. showing the manager literally after he got through his third running out to get him full speed. Like they're making fun of him. Like he couldn't get out there fast enough. Dumb. He, I mean, literally, he's, yeah. he could not. He pitched like eight straight balls and you can't take him out. Here, here's where I come down on these rules. I am totally opposed to any rule that, um, impinges on the manager's ability to af- to affect the game through strategy. So right. don't right. tell the manager he can't do a shift. Don't tell the manager he can't pull a pitcher after after one batter, et cetera. If you want to try to speed up the game, speed up the game and and have a have a clock on the pitcher, have a, uh, you know the, the clock on the batter stepping out of the box and changing his glove settings every 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 pitch. Do that. But don't don't take away strategy from baseball because you're killing the sport. And That's the only thing the fabric of the game, the only thing that should be universal about the designated hitter is that we shouldn't have one. Oh, right. about getting no, rid of strategy no, no, of the no, game. No, yeah, just bring it. Zach Wheeler up to hit for yeah, you. Yeah, who He's the fine. hell wants to see a pitcher come up to the, to the plate with two outs and two man men on in a crucial situation? No, but you Nobody want to, see, wants man- to see that. But you want to see the manager have to pull the double switch. And you want to see the way the manager can handle the game. You're 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 missing out on all that kind of stuff because of the designated. That's hitters. only so, going to happen from the seventh inning on, though. And in, and in the meantime, well, you have to endure some some guy up there in his in his in his jacket taking swings like an idiot. I do remember. <laughs> Let me ask you. Speaking of seventh inning on, what do you guys? What's your take on yeah. the seven inning doubleheader? Uh, because it. of COVID. This I is like the that. one I You'd I like that one? I yeah. think I do too. I do. I'm, in, I'm yeah. okay with this one. Do you know Ew, why I'm okay yeah. with it? Yeah. I, I'm okay with it in this. As long as there's more double headers played. Like yep. let's let's have a bunch more double headers now if we do it. The double header is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I remember, you know, that that stretch where you like finish law school and you you haven't graduated yet, but your finals are done. I, there was like a couple double headers that we went to just, you know, after classes are over. I have some great memories from sitting and drinking beer at, at, at double headers all day long. It's great. So if you're going to do if you're going to do the seven anything, let's make it part of the game. again. Yeah, they, they should have more Sunday uh, double headers, make them seven innings and lower the prices so that more families can go there with their kids. It would be a great move. Major League Baseball is definitely not going to be lowering the house. You don't you don't like it? No, but I will tell you the major the uh, the um, Washington Expos are going to have their fair share of doubleheaders this year with their yeah. uh, COVID starting, situation. <laughs> so, starting tomorrow. Right. You have one tomorrow, right? You start. Yeah, we have one tomorrow. Yeah, they can make those up. I'm a purist. I'm a baseball guess, purist. Yeah. I mean, my, my point is, if if they're going to tinker with the 162 game season at some point, then I guess all bets are off and you can have seven inning double headers. But until then, if we're playing 162, by God, we're playing 162. We're not playing 161 and three quarters. Yep. Pope. Bison, did you just catch that? I'm a purist <laughs> statement yeah. from the guy who's like all about 
bat flips and dancing and you <laughs> yeah. can't come in high and tight on somebody who shows yeah. you up. Come yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Babe Ruth was still pointing out to left field. There's there's room for showmanship, even among purists. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank goodness it's here. And, uh, you know, lots of baseball left to watch nine and seven inning games this year. Um, but April, April brings something else too, right? What else we got teed up, uh, this week? Well, April always first weekend of April is the masters and, you know, we just did it, uh, in November and, and we're back, uh, this time, this time with patrons, which is good. Um, no tiger, uh, not sure tiger would have been a factor even if he hadn't, uh, you know, gotten as injured as he did. Uh, I'm not sure the tournament really this year is that much different with the not having tiger there. Um, I think the main story from, from my perspective is this is Bryson DeChambeau's tournament to lose. He, if he's on and if he can keep his drives in the fairway, he, he will bring Augusta to its knees on the par fives. He's going to be hitting driver six iron down to wedge, depending on on number two, he's going to drive it over the hill and have like a eight iron. in. um, if Bryson plays well, uh, nobody else can come close to him. This, this course is built for somebody like him and, and it's never seen a power like him. And so it'll be fascinating to me. That's number one story. The number two story is, you know, you've got DJ who's not in form. You got a bunch of guys who are, you know, right behind him. Got Rom, JT, uh, Scotty Schiffler's now playing well. Morikawa, um, Xander Shoffley, Westwood. Westwood's a great story. Uh, that's the next pack. And then from, you know, a Texas perspective, Jordan Spieth finally got off the snide, got his first win in five years. Yes, on, uh, on Sunday at the Valero and, you know, he is, his game is tailored to the Augusta. He's already won one green jacket. If he hadn't had a collapse on the back nine uh, with a two shot lead, he would have won another green jacket. So uh, momentum in golf means a lot. Uh, I think Spieth is another story to watch. Um, but I'm just excited that we're playing golf in April in, in Augusta and we're going to have patrons. What do y'all think? Yes. All I heard yeah. out of that was there's no way Bryson's winning this tournament now. Yeah. <laughs> now that the SMQB jinx has been laid No, I down. didn't pick him. I just said I think he's the number one story. The Expos have tied up the Braves. They have tied it up. It is tied. Um, I think I, – I, I do think Bryson continues to be an exciting uh, – as, ex- as exciting as Bryson can get. I think he's an exciting – part of golf because he out hits a golf course, but he will not be your winner this year. Um, we are going to add another slam to someone who uh, got one of his grand slam victories last year. Colin Morikawa wow. is going to be, hmm. he, he is going to be your master's winner this year. Uh, he is a phenomenal iron player, which is rewarded Augusta. He's incredible ball striker um, but approach shots are what counts at Augusta. Morikawa leads the entire tour in strokes gained on approach. He's consistent on the greens. I think he's got the mental makeup. I don't think Bryson's got it. He's my pick. Colin Morikawa will be putting on the green jacket. Who's your dark horse? My dark horse, I'm going to go with uh, someone who played really well in the November version of the Masters. Um, tied for fifth, Dylan Fratelli of South Africa. Oh, wow. Fratelli. He, uh, interestingly, he, he has already had COVID. It's behind him. That's not going to be on his head. He's not going to be worrying about that. He's got, uh, since golf kind of got back underway after COVID, he's got four top tens, five top 25s worldwide. Uh, he opened in November, the Masters with the 65, and he just in the group stage of the World Golf, he just beat out Tony Finau, Jason Kokrak, and the new Phenom, Will Zalatoris. And I think Dylan Fratelli is going to surprise, and he's my dark horse. No, no love for DJ. No, no one. No love for DJ. Really? Not this week, or really any week. Is that your pick, Milk? <sighs> I'm going with him. I'm not, I mean, these are, these are professional. I know he's not playing well as of late, 
But I mean, how many top fives has he had in the last few? I mean, isn't it like several in a row? Well, he's the number one ranked golfer in the world. So yeah, I he counts for he's, something. He's very comfortable here. He loves this course. I, I mean, until I'm going with him. I I I like Who DJ. You, who's your dark horse? I love. I'm loving what Westwood's doing lately. I'm going, with, Dad I'm going with him. Dad bod. He's playing so well. He is. He I also like. I, I could see Justin Thomas winning this as well. Well, who are you gonna pick? If I have to pick one, I'm gonna go with Dustin Johnson. But JT is a close second. Way to go out on a limb. <laughs> wow, like a playoff or <laughs> Rooster? What you got? Who did, who did you pick as your dark horse? Westy. No, uh, House. Uh, Dylan Fratelli. All right. So uh, my dark horse is and my pick are kind of the same, and this is this is just a this is just an emotional one. I love Jordan Spieth as a human being. Um. He's he's got a special needs sibling, and that's all I need to know. The the way I see him treat his brother, I just love the guy. But he played like he played lights out. He played like the old Jordan Spieth uh, recently um, in Texas at the Valero Texas Open. Um, so I am rooting for him to win it all. Uh, I know that's not a, a a smart pick these days. It's not a bad pick. I think he's back. It, and I think he's also a dark horse, but there's also a guy named Joaquin Neiman, um, yeah. from Chile, who it, who has the uh, the the tour's uh, highest birdie average right now. And so you talk about a dark horse. No one's ever heard of this guy, but he's playing lights out. So look out for this guy. Ison, what you got? Uh, we all, we I all get... know what's going to happen, by the way, with uh, <laughs> with. Uh, uh, Spieth. Yeah, he's no, gonna, I know. He's every going year. into Rays Creek. It's going to break my heart uh, like he does every year. Yeah. I'm not saying uh, I'm um, betting on him, by the way. I'm going to throw someone out who's got a good shot, but nobody else has said. Um, what about John Rahm? Of course. Ba- I think baby Rahm's man just sh- had his baby. Yeah, I think he's got a shot. Hothead. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, can't do it. Nope, he's out. And hits in race creek on 12. My dark yeah. horse is a is a dark horse given his current situation, but in a Willis Reed slash Tiger Woods reprisal, Kepka. Just, oh. just, to, make, just, just to make Milk happy. Oh. I'm gonna put Kepka. That out punchable there. face. Oh. Oh. All right, no, I so hope, I hope it doesn't read. make the cut. Please don't make the cut. So I've got, <laughs> I, I've got JT, and my dark horse is Sergio. That's Sergio, a, that's a good Sergio. one. He's huh. been playing well. He played well in the uh, in the Austin yeah. champ, uh, World match play. Yes. Yeah, um, you know, obviously he's won at Augusta, so he uh, he knows how to do it. Yeah. Listen, I I want to uh, just give a shout out for our betting listeners to join us and watch the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat of Chris Nace in a contest <laughs> in a in a contest called the Fantasy Golf Majors. Uh Saturday afternoon you will see Chris Nace in second or third place Absolutely. uh with the taste T2. of the money. Yeah. And T2 for sure. And Sunday it'll look like it's a possibility by about four in the afternoon and at about six he's about twenty seventh. Yeah. Yeah, every time never fails. We're still talking about the 2017 collapse when he sat on the lead going into true story. These are true stories. An historic collapse on Sunday. Rory has has nothing on you. I can't even log into that site and watch anymore. (laughs) It's so terrible. Just someone tell me if I win. (laughs) Refresh, refresh, refresh. But you know, listen. The the last thing we got to say about the Masters. I mean, Rooster, the best moment of the whole tournament might might not happen uh, on the on Sunday. It might happen on Thursday, right? Right, right. They've they've chosen Lee Elder to be an honorary starter, and um, it is about time. You know, when I was when I was twelve, Lee Elder was not allowed to play at the Masters. No, no black golfer was allowed to play at the Masters. 
when I turned 13 in 1975, he played the Masters and opened it up. And you, you know, you would think that maybe that recently he'd have some issues, but man, this guy has such dignity and grace. He's embracing this. He, he's, uh, you know, I have nothing but respect for Lee Elder, and I just want to give a shout out to Lee Elder for all of his accomplishments, the way he paved the road for other golfers, and the dignity and grace with which he is handling this new honor of of being a being a starter and having the Masters sponsor all kinds of college scholarships in Augusta, Georgia, in his name. So yeah, the they're yeah, getting involved awesome. in the uh, HBCU. Um, yeah, colleges, which is really, uh, it's really good. Cheers, cheers to the cheers. elder. Cheers to that. Cheers to yeah. Lord. By the That'll way, I would nice completely moment. freak out if I had to do the starting drive for the Masters. It would go into. Some- <laughs> <laughs> I would sit over the ball for at least three minutes. Well, How's that any different than every other hole? Yeah, yeah you, uh, you freak wait. out sitting over the ball at Top Golf, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would just don't ask me to nothing would happen. And now teeing off on one Patrick speedy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There is a shot clock on, on uh, driving the ball milk. You gotta, you gotta tee off with somebody minutes. called me and said, Hey, by the way, I got some great news. You're going to hit the opening shot at the masters. I'd like hang up on him. Most people will be like, that's the greatest honor ever. I'm like, no, no, I'm not sure it. milks drives are the problem. It's the, uh, you know, like the hundred yard in shot that takes five minutes for him to. Well, that's because it's getting pretty launch. serious. I've got yeah. to really got, I've got to get it close to the, to the hole. Oh, Nerve right. Well, I mean, we're usually up by 10 strokes on Pope and house at that point. So, oh, here we uh, go. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah. Right. oh boy. So the masters. All right. This will be fun. We'll have something to talk about with it next week uh, for sure. But now guys, <laughs> We got to get back on track. It's time to punch someone in the face. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Kuja with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Milk. Who are we punching this week? Um, hmm. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little heated on this one. <laughs> oh, I can tell. I'm gonna need, not even I'm, on the screen. You're so heated. Oh, I'm gonna boy. need a cold shower after this one. I'm, I guess I'll start off with a recent score of a game last week, and I think House, you'll probably pick up on this pretty early. The score was two to nothing. Um, oh yeah. And if you don't know what I'm referencing, it was Honduras to the United States mm. of America. Oh, boy. Zero. Oh. And the sport is men's soccer. And the implications of this loss were that the United States, for the third consecutive time, will not be participating in the Olympic Games for men's soccer. I looked it up. Uh, Honduras has 9 million people. We have 328 million people. Uh, their GDP is 25 billion. Ours is 21 trillion. <laughs> Apparently we are not capable of finding 11 men's soccer players, not women's notice. I didn't say women's cause they right. figured it out. They're amazing. They win world cups. They go to the Olympics. They win gold medals. We can't even we're not good enough to even make the Olympic games to compete for a medal. It's like um, we have a big soccer problem in our country. It's starting to remind me of uh, it's kind of like when you're single and you're dating a girl and oh boy, Uh-oh. Here oh, we go. God. you're not that into There's no long-term goal. Uh, you're not really going to marry her. There's just that we've got a commitment problem with soccer on the men's side. Uh, well, I, I'm at the point uh, now I'm at the, because I, I can't stand this. The fact that our country cannot even play in the Olympic games that I'm like, look, there's a new generation. There are kids being born every day. And if we want, if, if, if it's better for us to just let soccer go the way of cricket for this new generation where, you know, you're up at midnight, 
you're flipping through the channels, you come across the weird European station. Suddenly you're watching Pakistan versus India and a cricket match. Sounds like a personal issue. Well, I think we're on a, we're on an official rant now. (laughs) You know what? Let's do it. Are you in your bathrobe by any chance? (laughs) But until we can figure out what to do with men's soccer, either invest the time, the money and resources into the sport, I'm going to punch the men's soccer team in the face. I'm done. I've had enough. It's embarrassing. Uh, and bam. Milk, milk I, I, listen, I got to jump in here because I'm going to join you on the punch, but for different reasons. Because the same day they were losing to Honduras, the real U.S. men's national team, Christian Pulisic, Serginho Dest, Giovanni Reina, Brian uh, Mark McKenzie, they, they, the studs, we do have studs on the team this year. They were playing in an international friendly against Northern Ireland, spanking Northern Ireland and Belfast because the priority of the U.S. men's national team was to get them warmed up for the World Cup. You know, you can chew gum and walk at the same time. I do not know why the U.S. men's national team didn't have the priority of putting that excellent squad on the field on the pitch against Honduras for the Olympics. I guess they don't care about the Olympics. We do wave the flag after all here in the United States of America. Right. So I agree with you, Milk. We can, uh, we should have put our best players. We, we, we are committed to soccer in this country. It is getting better, but we can do both. We can compete in the Olympics and the world cup. We, and I, we, I join your have punch. We, have we qualified we, for the world cup yet? These, we hey, the guys that played Not on yet. that, I know they, they weren't the top yet. guys, but they were professionals. It wasn't college kids. That's true. We should our 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 prof, any professional should we should be able to qualify for the Olympic Games. Just well, we, are, we, 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 we can do it, and the women do it. The women right. do both. Yes, they, they qualify for the Olympics and the, the World Cup. We need to. I agree. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I will say though, the greatest amount of outrage on this topic from coast to coast, sea to shining sea in this country just happened on this podcast and that may that may explain part of the problem right that may explain part of the problem that's right i i think i think that they that may be a uh a reflection on our age but the younger generations are completely into soccer i think that's true that's true all right well rooster i think you got one more thing you want to bring up for us right yeah, I, I'd like to honor a, a, a true Renaissance man, uh, Dr. Bobby Brown, who, um, you know, I'm familiar with him from Yankees old timers games. Um, but he played a third base for the Yankees from 1946 to 1954 for only eight seasons. And uh, during that time, uh, he got his medical degree from some some school out in Louisiana, roll wave to Lane and won four world series. Um, he fought in the Korean war serving in a mash unit and caused him to miss some of the 1952 and all of the 1953 seasons and became a successful cardiologist. Um, I think he was from Seattle, Washington, but settled in the Fort worth Dallas area Fort and worth. had a really successful cardiology practice back then. The players earned more in, in a profession than they did as a as a professional athlete. Uh, so it was a, it was actually a uh, a lucrative move for him to leave baseball to practice medicine. But baseball lured him back in 1974, and he became the interim president of the Rangers. And then 10 years later, uh, he became the president of the American League for about 12 years. Um, the guy was just a class, class act. I mean, even into his 80s, he'd wear the full uniform at old timers games. He was physically fit in his late 80s. Um, just just a wonderful, wonderful man. I'd like to pour one out for Bobby Brown. Dr. Bobby Brown, 96 Bobby Brown. years young. Well said. Well said. Well said. Let me tell you guys, this time next week, Let's hope we talk about the undefeated Phillies, right? We'll be back. And Colin Morikawa wearing the green jacket.
In the meantime, just to, <laughs> just to just to let you know, the 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 Braves hit a home run, a seemingly home run, in the top of the ninth, which has been called back as a foul ball. Uh, how is it? Oh my god! Exposer winning by cheating already. High like drama, still controversial. They go over the foul pole. How do they well, not know it was a it, foul? It went over, and the guy ran around the bases like it was a home run. And then the umpires all got together after he circled the bases and called who hit it. Pash Pache. I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. And and then they called it foul, and he had to come out of the dugout, go back up, and strike out on the next pitch. Wow. So we're still in the top of the night, though. So you never know. Good luck to all your teams. Enjoy baseball, guys. guys. Have a good week. One of the best weekends of the year. Talk to you after the Masters. See you, everyone. Yeah. See you later, guys.